Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. heckle me either okay you should be able to hear the difference in the audio the the difference is not small yeah between analog and digital so welcome to the world of all marine radio on a monday that's right i started this little project and i thought you know what actually i being gone and the, and the audio I did do, it has become apparent to me that uh, digital audio, right, this is me going out on a limb here, digital audio is here to stay. Yeah. Yeah, that's my take on all of that. So I have it in my head that maybe I should buy a digital mixer. Because that's how this stuff works. And um, I already had one. And that's how I knew it. Because I've been using it on the road when I do stuff. And again, the difference in my head is like, whoa. Um, And then when I replay it, I'm like, whoa, double whoa. So, yeah, there's a lot of whoa going on there. So, I'm looking at digital mixers. You know, several hundred dollars. And, um, and, um, so I thought, you know what, why don't I just use the, the unit that I have, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's made by a company called Focusrite, it's got like 16 inputs into it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So anyhow, I still have not solved. (laughs) I still have not solved all the problems yet. I thought I had pretty much solved every problem. And then when we get ready to go on the air, I have to pump it through the thing that gets it. um, That gets it to you, right? Right. Except I didn't know how to do that. I'm looking at him like, uh oh, row row. So hence the but I think already in my head I have the solution to it. Yeah. I think so. I think so. So uh I'm uh <laughs> I'm uh, I'm pretty fired up about that. So yeah anyway. Hope you had a uh Hope you had a good weekend. Uh, if you're a baseball fan, I mean, this is awesome time of the year. 
Um, and I know people are going to say, oh, Mac, uh, football. You know what? I was thinking about this. All right. The baseball used to be the national pastime, right? I'm going to draw a correlation here between the dumbing down of America and the rise of football. And I know it's going to hurt football fans. Okay, I before I even say this, I just want to make sure you're strapped into your your chair. So, um, you know, baseball is kind of a thinking person's game, right? If you're looking for chase the ball and and, and all that, that's that's not baseball's beauty. Baseball's beauty is is del- it's is its deliberate nature, and you know the you know the pressure of the pitcher and the hitter and and their tendencies and what they're going to do and all that. That's the beauty of baseball, okay? So I don't know if, I mean, I was looking through my news feed yesterday morning, and the thought comes into my head, there is not hardly anything in this news feed that's worth reading. It is all garbage based on what is driven by two political parties that have huge influence over over the news providers of the nation. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely positively awful. So, then I'm thinking, you know, the rise of football kind of coincides with all this. And... Um, And is there a correlation between the dumbing down of America and the rise of football? So really, when I go to a sporting event, I don't want to think and be involved in it in a cerebral way. I want to simply yell, write, and drink beer, and be loud and talk shit. To quote my friend Will Constantini, we're doomed, okay? We're doomed. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I redid my studio and took me almost, I thought it would take me a few hours. Took me two full days. And as you can see from this morning, I'm still not done with it. I got a two, uh, I got a couple of little tweaks. And, um, left to do, little bugs to kind of sort out. And so... Uh, as I so this thing I have, it's a digital interface, not exactly a mixer. When I say digital, I mean like cerebral digital audio, like not like for you novices that say, "Is it Bluetooth, Mac?" Yeah, it ain't Bluetooth. Okay, so you guys need to stop it. Anyhow, um, I um. Yeah, it's a pretty sophisticated, and I've been doing audio since 2000, and I love doing audio and electronics and stuff like that. And let me tell you this, man, this uh, this thing is not for the faint of heart. And you know how when you're you're tired, and you're doing this, and you're just like, oh my god, you know, and you can't think anymore, and you know it's one switch. Yeah, that's what I know. It's one switch, and I don't know which one it is. And uh, it's pissing me off, okay? It is absolutely pissing me off. So, um, yeah. And so, anyhow, 
um, I was I was problem solving. And like I said, it's not a unsophisticated piece of equipment. So, um, so yeah, it takes a little brain power. What else did I do? Well, you know, some big news. I won't give you all the details on it. I'll give you a couple, though. Some big news. Um, I don't know if I shared this last week, but if I didn't, here you go. Um, somebody wants to make a documentary about post-traumatic winning. Yeah, how exciting is that? I'm, like, totally geeked about it. And I'll I'll bring them on and... We'll have more information on it, but um, pretty exciting stuff. And what's to me, what's most exciting is the opportunity to touch more lives. Um, the opportunity to touch more lives. So to me, that is uh, that's pretty exciting, if you ask me. So, <coughs> yeah, I've got. I've got work in front of me. <laughs> I've got work in front of me. I've got to somehow or other write two books. And um and you know, I have help on both those projects, but I've got to do my part and that takes time. So so that's going on uh in my life now. So yeah, big weekend. Grant Newsham's gonna join us at the bottom of the hour. So we're gonna talk much Chinese news in the news. Hence, Grant joins us. Um, and what um, we're going to talk about with Grant, one, we have a we have a sub that, that runs in the ground. I don't know what it ran into. We're going to ask Grant about that. We're going to uh, talk to him about President Xi's comments about the reunification of China. I... I you know, this is the stupidest thing because China's never been, has never owned Taiwan, Formosa, however you want to talk about it, okay? Never. So, um, yeah. So we're going to talk to him about that. And uh, the president of Taiwan had some very choice comments to make about that as well. So we'll talk to Grant about that. And uh, that is uh, big news. Big news. So, uh, so, but the big news, you know, in, in my world is, um, yeah, going to have another venue to, extol the virtues of post-traumatic quitting. You know, I had somebody call me. <laughs> it was, uh, what time was it this morning? Yeah, no shit. I wake up at 3.55 today. I can't go back to sleep. Right? And um, so I get a phone call at four, 5.40 in the morning. So somebody gives somebody my number and says, hey, call this guy about this thing they want to publicize. And so I see the phone. And my phone, you know your phone now tells you it's a verified number? Or it'll warn you it's a scam? So it says verified number. Hello? Hi. Is this Mac? 
I said, yeah. He said, hey, my name's, I can't remember what his name was. My name's something. Somebody gave me your name. Like, where are you? I'm like, in California. And then he says, uh-oh. I'm like, yeah, bro, it's 540. What are you doing? I said, <laughs> so, so anyway, um, we, we ha- we're having this conversation about an event that they're doing. And uh, and <clears throat> we got onto the got onto the conversation about all these different therapies for veterans, right? Equine therapy, this therapy, that therapy. And I told him, I said, well, let me just tell you the problem with that. That's Novocaine. Okay? That's Novocaine. If you don't, if they don't find a path that they can believe in, okay? If they don't find a path that they can believe it and make operational in their life because there's a difference like for instance people have come to the seminar and they've sat through it and then over time they um the um you know they internalize it and then it's it's on to business as usual. And I would fundamentally differentiate that between, you know, uh, internalizing. That is, you know, doing the things that you're supplo- supposed to do, right? Doing the things that you're supposed to do to make these things, you know, happen in your life. So, <clears throat> if you don't, take these things and internalize them and and you know it's interesting in our um in my post-traumatic winning weekly seminar that meets tomorrow night one of the things we're going to talk about again is personal infrastructure And these are the things you need to do on a daily basis if you want to make sure you get there. And then once you get there, if you want to make sure you stay there. So, so my comment to this guy was, Hey, look, man, you can, you can do all the equine therapy. You can do all that shit that you want, but you've got to give them a way through, right? You've got to give them a way through. So, and he was like, Oh yeah, you know, we are, you know, we, uh, okay. I said, all right, that's fantastic. So anyway, my morning so far this morning yeah i'm trying to get into um i'm trying to get into my um back into some kind of routine after being gone for three weeks but i'll get there but yeah the uh the digitization of the all marine radio studio man that uh i'm not gonna lie to you that uh that monopolized my time over the weekend so anyway, I think much of this is fixed. We shall see. Um, the United States Marine Corps band makes this morning official. I'm pretty sure. Good morning.
this is dedicated to a lady in Hawaii who uh, sent me a note that I read this morning. And uh, her husband attempted to kill himself a couple days ago and said she'd see me in Hawaii. And so, anyway, um, uh, God bless you. And uh, give me a call as soon as you can when you wake up. And you can do this. your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> <clears throat> But I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So, young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day. And so our major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds to win. You gotta win. No joke. Yeah, winning's a pretty good thing. Currently it is cloudy in 67 in Quantico, clouds in 70, Emory Court Air Station, Cherry Point. Out in 29 Palms, it's foggy in 61. Camp Pendleton, clouds in 60. Camp Smith in Hawaii, dark cloudy in 72. Okinawa, dark cloudy 80. Manila, dark raining in 80. And in Darwin, it is dark cloudy in 81. At the home of all marine, marine radio, we have four weather warnings. What the hell is going on? Mostly cloudy in 62.
And we'll have to, oh. Weather alerts. Gale warning. That's one. Wind advisory. High surf advisory. And small craft advisory. So for all of you that are thinking about going boating in the Southern California area, I would tell you, probably not. All right. You need to dial that back. And let me get you the highs for the for the week, just in case you're coming out here. Currently, it is going to be 69 today, 70 tomorrow, 72 on Wednesday, 71 on Thursday, 70 Friday, all the way up to 79. You know what? I have to tell you, I like this kind of weather. Right? When you're out in the sun, feels really good. Yeah. So, Grant is supposed to join me here. Now, hopefully, all the technology works, and uh, we're able to pull <laughs> we're able to pull this rabbit out of the hat. All right, but I tried it with Tim Lynch this morning, and he said it worked. Yeah, so I'm fired up about that. So we had two minutes to wait. So, oh, so let me uh, let me do some news headlines today. As long as I'm sitting here doing nothing. Okay. Um, news headlines. Top story in Stars and Stripes is, we have 60 seconds. Hundreds of thousands of U.S. troops have not yet complied with vaccine mandate as the deadline draws near. Second story. Navy nuclear engineer with his wife charged with trying to share submarine secrets with a foreign country. Hmm. Germany is investigating possible Havana syndrome sonic attack at the U.S. Embassy in Berlin. Another headline, interesting enough, Taliban say they won't work with the United States to contain the Islamic State. Didn't expect to see that one. Uh, top story in the Wall Street Journal is oil jumps above $80 a barrel turbo turbocharged by supply shortages. So that is in the news. Another interesting article that I want to read that says strange quiet arrives in Afghanistan after decades of war. So that is in the news. From uh, USNI News. Number one story is assessment of damaged attack boat USS Connecticut begins in Guam. Like they're going to tell us what happened. FBI arrests Navy Navy nuclear engineer and wife accused of selling submarine secrets. Yeah. FBI agents posing as agents from another nation, rounded them up. Um, Top stories in uh, Marine Corps Times are Marine Corps boot leave is back. You know, it's interesting. I've heard conversations about leave, right? So leave coming out of recruit training. And a lot of Marines don't come back. Yeah, a lot of Marines don't come back after that. And you, I've heard more than one leader say, yeah, you know, that's not a bad thing to make go away because they're not fully adjusted to the Marine Corps. 
right? And uh, so that is in the news. Top five stories in early bird, and then we'll get Grant on. Number one, Navy nuclear engineer and wife arrested for trying to sell submarine secrets to foreign power. Two, court martial scheduled for Stuart Scheller, Marine, who who criticized the Afghan withdrawal. You know, I have to tell you something. It's irritating me now to see the reporting on this. And this is how this shit always goes. All right. He wasn't criticized. He, he he wasn't particularly. He wasn't court-martialed. He's not being court-martialed for his initial statement. Okay, that would have been handled some other way. It was all the subsequent stuff that he did. So he'll face his Article Thirty-Two hearing, which is his arraignment next Thursday and Friday at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. So that is in the news. Uh, number three, three troops die on the same day as military COVID-19 deaths continue to spike. Spike. 62 in a force of 1.4 million. Hmm. I don't know if you know what a spike is, but that ain't a spike. Um, now, again, if you want to compare it to past statistics, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And riddle me this, Batman. The, um, let's see, military viewing lessons on Afghanistan evacuation as thousands more seek refuge. And number five, Fort Hood soldier reported missing officials asked for help. Now, again, anytime, if you're in the Army, anytime you see, if you're in a leadership position and in the, you're in the Army, anytime you see Fort Hood, you go, uh-oh. Okay, now I'm I'm kind of dancing past the obvious. Let me call Grant Newsham, see if this works. Well, that's always a good sign. Hello, Grant speaking. Newsham, welcome back to All Marine Radio. I've been traveling mm-hmm. for the last three weeks, so I hope you didn't think I was ignoring you. But uh, I know you had a busy night tonight at the uh, at the gambling halls of uh, Taipei. Uh-huh. So uh, would you care to report? How did you do? How did you fare? Oh, I, uh, <clears throat> I ran the table. <laughs> I think that's the language. It's, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, that's my thing is gambling, as you well, probably guessed. You know what? You've got it written all over you, so I just I, I want to admonish you to be careful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the uh, four ninety nine shrimp uh, cocktail <laughs> was a fill up on that as well. Well, the, not only the shrimp cocktail, but the free booze as they ply you to, you know, to spend your retirement in their casino. So I mean, they, trust me, they see you coming a mile away. Mm-hmm. I should imagine. Uh, now, are you a, are you um, 
Um, are you are you a gambler? No, it's uh, not at all. Yeah, yeah, I might go for the like <laughs> the prime rib buffet, but no, I'm not a gambler at all. It's uh, for some reason it's never been my thing. You know, I'd be just as inclined to take my money out into the parking lot at wherever and setting it alight for all the chance I have of winning. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, my mother, um, I went up to Lake Tahoe when I was probably 20 with a girl to see a dinner show. I saw America. <laughs> yeah, singing when they sang A Horse With No Name at a dinner show mm-hmm. at Reno, right? So not at Reno, but on the north shore of Tahoe. The mm-hmm. Her- Harris had just built built a new um, uh, just built a new casino. So we, I went and I came home. And the next morning, I'm getting up. I don't know what if I was probably getting ready to go to school or something. And she looks at me. She said, "Well, how was the concert?" I said, "Was well, it was great? Yeah, America is good." She said, "Did you gamble?" And I said, "A little bit." And she said, "Is that a beautiful hotel or what?" I said, "Yeah, that's awesome." She said, "You know who built it?" And I said, "Harris." And she said, and she's standing in the cigarette, standing in our kitchen smoking a cigarette at like whatever, 7.40 in the morning. She said, no. She said, suckers like you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? She said, yeah. Do you think that's a loser's game, Michael? You ever see what Monaco looks like? You ever see what Las Vegas looks like? I said, I've never been to Vegas or Monaco, Mom, but I have seen pictures. They looked relatively nice, you know? And she said, oh, yeah, that's a fool's game, okay? And ever since then, my mother scarred me for life. Kathleen, the, the voice <laughs> I still hear in my head. Corporal punishment Kathleen, man. Um, so, yeah, I'm like you, Grant. You know, and, and you know what's funny is, you know, you, you grow up in the United States, right, with American gambling, right? Mm-hmm. And then I remember the first, the first uh, casino I was in outside the United States was in Korea. I'm a second lieutenant. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I'm a second lieutenant. And we go we go piling into the casino and it's a very hushed place, right? Mm-hmm. It is not Las Vegas. It's not screaming and yelling and all kinds of craziness. It is uh, you know, it's very hushed tones as people play cards and they're very serious about it. It was like, this is not even fun. This is just people losing money. Like when this is not this is bad. So, yeah, gambling uh, on the other side of the pond, not so much. Yeah, you know, you, you, and even in the U.S., you know, you go into these places and it's not like they're full of uh, happy looking people. <laughs> um, you know, the, the advertisements, you know, are, you know, just these beaming people. But you go in and holy cow. Well, it's, you know, uh, I made this observation impressive. in the last year. I was in Las Vegas doing something and I said, what? Like on the in. On TV, there's all these beautiful people in Las Vegas, but all I'm seeing is overweight people who can't match their clothes. Is it me or is something wrong here? They said, no, that's what Las Vegas is about. I said, what about? I'm like, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, don't let those little snippets of what people tell you Las Vegas about confuse you with what the reality is. This is like America's place that could be stupid. And America is not very well dressed, and America does not like to exercise. I said, wow. wow. Yeah, you know, it's, you're not going to find Sean Connery. It's, uh, no. Oh God, or no. MGM Grand or whatever. Oh, my God. What, um, is, there a, is, there a, uh, is there a gambling capital in, uh, 
in the uh, how do I say it in in the Pacific? Is there a place where where if you live in the Pacific region, you would go to gamble? Is there one Mecca, well, as it were? Well, it's Macau. Macau and, uh, has always been the place. You know that little used to be a Portuguese colony, just fifty miles or so across the the, the mouth of the Pearl River Delta from Hong Kong. And that was always the gambling place. And, you know, South Korea, of course, has a couple of casinos um, funded by the Japanese Yakuza, of course, to, to this day. And uh, Singapore got into the game late and uh, Malaysia had a little bit, but it was always Macau. You know, if you said Asian gambling, Macau. And then Saipan, if you may, you know where that is, that actually got some interest from Chinese casino interests about five, six years ago, and it threatened to basically drag the government of Saipan into China's clutches. And it also was played a role in uh, canceling or bringing to a halt that idea the Marines had for an amphibious training area uh, in the northern Marianas Islands, because uh, the, the, the Chinese interests were able to fund citizens groups alleged citizens groups that raised environmental concerns. And they were also talking about how, you know, if there's military in Saipan, tourists won't come, et cetera, et cetera. And they funded the national pension plan and paid everybody's electric bill and such like. Um, but that has uh, come to a halt, fortunately. But it's Macau is the, the gambling place. Well, well, had you, have you, I never was in Macau did, were you ever in Macau? Yeah, I've been there a few times over the last 40 years, and I always have a picture taken in the same place uh, at the top of this uh, old Portuguese fort. Uh, but I don't think I'll be going back to Macau anytime soon or to Hong Kong. And I think anybody who has ever put in a bad word for the Chinese Communist Party is advised to stay out of both of those places. Uh, but it's a very interesting place. You can, If you go to the old part, you just stay away from the casino parts. Uh, there's a lot of Portuguese influence and architecture there, and it's a, you know it is a very interesting place. Somebody just told me that they can't hear you, even though I can, and I find that distressing because everything that says everything says that everybody can hear you. Huh? Do you want to try again or something? No, I think it must be them because it says that um, if you're listening. I have one person that says they can't hear Grant, but oh, I think, goodness. but I think that's them. And so, if you're listening, let me know if you can hear Grant. You can send me a text. Um, you know, email me live dot radio at gmail dot com. Hmm. Well, you wouldn't be missing much, and just for the one person, <laughs> so, yeah. you'd certainly be hearing the better part of the show um all right so let's talk about uh there's a bunch of stuff to talk about chinese american subs running into an unnamed object what do you make of that grant oh goodness um <laughs> you know it, it happens every once in a while and sometimes it's like an undersea mountain or that wasn't on the map or that they didn't notice i know but we have or... things like radar grant i don't know if you know this oh. Really? Yes, it's like radar. Oh, we, we have I, the most advanced radars in the world. I know. You know, stuff happens, and you know, I 
You know, no, no, it doesn't it, happen. That's my point. Well, every once in a while, it seems to. Oh. Um, yeah, but you know, I'm not. I think that last one in 2005 seemed to have been some piece of undersea land that they hadn't known about. But if, then again, you know, maybe it did hit something. You know, it, like a Chinese sub, a Russian sub. Do you uh, think that's some just lying about it, or do you think that's actually? Um... Um, because they don't want to tell the truth about it, so they mm -hmm. make up some kind of lie? I mean, what do you make of all that? Well, it could be. You know, I doubt they're going to tell the, the truth. If they did hit a, an enemy sub, I wouldn't publicize it either. You right. know, everybody, of course, wants to know. But it, it, it and you know, there's only so many things it could be, though one of the possibilities I did hear was, um, you know, say, a, a, what a cargo container that was sort of, floating around under, I know, the, but Grant, under the water. But, you it's know. not like they're reading off maps, setting courses in directions, mm -hmm. right? It's not like we're standing over this thing. I mean, this is the ad most advanced radars in the world that are like pinging 360 degrees, you know, unless we're running cold. I guess then we're not pinging, but don't we have passive sensors? We have no way of knowing I need a Navy guy on. You're a Marine. You don't know shit about submarines and how they navigate. <laughs> like, why the, fu why the, the fuck am I asking you? So, so well, here's my question. question. That's why I'm yes. giving you my answer. Like <laughs> well, now I'm thinking about it. It's like, okay, so once we go nose cold, that's an aviation term for all you land-laden fools out there. Okay, once we go nose cold, that means we shut our radars off. Okay? And... Um, once we, so now we're using eyeballs to navigate and we're using passive, right? Things, things that don't emit. So when we're running those cold grant, you don't know shit. I don't know. Why am I asking? I mean, I'm doing this elaborate, like introduction to the question to ask you something. And you're going to look at me and say, I don't know, Mac. Hmm. I would have, you know, like in the old voyage at the bottom of the sea show in the sixties, I'd have looked out the front window if it'd been me. But the uh, okay, who was, who was the star of that? David Hedison. Richard Basehart. Oh, that's right. Yeah. How about, I, how about might that? have eventually got to that. He, <laughs> David Hedison was the like the good looking number two. The oh young guy. yeah. That yeah. was the guy that you wanted to be, but Richard Basehart was, he was kind of like the William Shatner of voyage to the bottom of the sea. And they always seem to get into some shit down there. I'll say, but, the, but back to your, um, back to your nuclear sub, the, uh, is it, what it does, it, you know, I have no idea, but you know, there's only so many things you'll run into that cause a nuclear submarine to, uh, you know, come to a dead stop and have to limp back to Guam on the surface. Uh, and but it is, you know, it does get across that, you know, that the U.S. submarines and Navy are in the South China Sea and there's things going on we don't know about. Uh, but the, the Chinese subs are down there, too. And, hmm. you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if this was part of that cat and mouse game and somebody made a mistake. Got it. Uh, but I don't I don't think we'll. You know, at least I hope we never hear, actually. It's just nice to think that there's some secrets that can still be kept. Speaking yeah, and, and, that, sp and that really <laughs> is... Our, oh, go ahead. Speaking of secrets that can't be kept, um, what about... Um, what about... 
the dude and his wife, the, the Navy nuclear engineer trying to pass secrets. That's just another installment in, in an ongoing um, war between the Chinese and the United States over American technology that China has has built its military on. Um, what do you think the percentage of people we we catch to people we don't is? Oh, goodness, you know, just by definition, you know, it has to be a small percentage. Oh. Uh, but, yeah, you know, you know, one always, it's one of those games that one never really knows. But you you have to assume you don't catch everyone. And I know, but you know, give us a percentage. Watchers. Give us a percentage. Would you say that we, we catch... In, and this is this is I'm drawing on your expertise, much like I was drawing it on for passive sonar measures, um, which was not that expert expert like. Just so everybody knows, um, because sometimes I use subtle humor, and then the rubes among us, they're like, "Huh, what did you say?" So I sometimes I spell it out. Anyway, Grant, not so much a submariner. Okay, neither am I, but I'm I'm taking aviation terms and applying them to the sea, and then asking Grant difficult questions that I know he can't answer. But nonetheless, right, I ask him anyway. So if you were a betting man and you're a Washington senator's man, um, what would you what would you put the odds? Um, what would you put the percentage of people we catch as opposed to people we don't catch? And oh, by the way, I just got a, an email about Macau. So that means somebody can hear Grant. Okay, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on in Wisconsin, all right? But unscrew yourself, okay? Anyway, back to the question: If you were a betting man and you had to put odds on um, on the percentages on the percentage of people we catch, but or don't catch, what would you say? Give me a percentage. Oh, one third. And I think Ooh. that would be real, that would be charitable. I, yeah, I was uh, going to say that's pretty generous, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think it is. The but you know one third that's bad enough. Uh, but it, it is a huge problem, and you know I've people who follow this a lot more closely than me. Uh, they are pretty pessimistic, and you have got to assume the 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 other side has really got you penetrated. And it's many respects our fault. Uh, you know, if you look into a lot of these cases, um, and so, you know, it's hard. I'm not going to be optimistic about this. You know, we tend to catch the ones where we either get a break or they do something really stupid. And so that one third, now that I think about it, make it one fourth, you know, if you want to. Oh, I think we're maybe already... hopefully getting into them, <laughs> talking myself into a. <laughs> bit of a higher figure, but it, it's um, but you rightly point this out because we all, when the latest incident happens, we all focus on it, and we say, ah, oh, we find, oh, we cleaned them up, you know, that's it, and then, you know, and it makes us feel good, but it, it just isn't how that game works. You know, they're trying twenty four hours a day, and you know, every day of the year, and they've been at it for a good long while, and really, if you, um, you know, just wave some money in front of a white man. Uh, boy, it isn't all that hard, it seems. A certain type of person, put it that way. Uh, and But it is funny, not funny, but it's, uh, 
you know, is a very serious problem. And I think that every one of our agencies and uh, networks, et cetera, is you have to assume that they are penetrated. Yeah, it's pretty depressing. So that was in the news. Um, the other thing that um, you're in, you're in the epicenter of world events right now, Grant. How do you like that? The uh, President Xi. You know, well, the, the, uh-huh. you know, and here's what I, um, I, I, um, I made this, Amer- baseball used to be America's pastime, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't, and, and I kind of drew a corollary, a corollary between the dumbing down of America and the rise of football. Right? <laughs> okay, so it's pretty obvious. We chase the guy, we throw him on the ground. Baseball, a little bit more subtle. Counts, probability, pitchers trying to hit this, hitters trying to hit this, yada, you know. So it's more of a cerebral game, okay? And and President Xi's doing the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Formosa, if you go back in history, and I owe this to Grant for teaching me this kind of shit, right? But um, Grant's taught me that Formosa has never, ever, ever really belonged to mainland China. And yet... That is just an assumed fact in this discussion, and you watch it take place on on a um, on a world stage, and you're just going, "Oh my God!" You know, this is amazing to watch this. Absolutely amazing to watch this. And so, mm-hmm. and so, what do you make of all of this, Grant? Um, and then, and so, and, and you're in Taiwan, uh, Taipei, I believe, at the moment, and so. Walk us through this this dance that is now going on because the only and then the other news that was in the you know was the and you you <laughs> I think you mentioned this about Marines and special forces guys being in Taiwan. I, I somebody mentioned it on the program. I thought it was you. Um and so um get out your now I'm going to ask you about something you know about. So uh, explain to us what's going on. Oh well. Xi Jinping, and it's not just him. He, well, he's the head of China, of course. And it's, but it started long before him that the Chinese have been, the Chinese communists have been uh, clamoring to take Taiwan. You know, they say it's part of China and they want it back, and they fully intend to get it, one way or the other, either by uh, coercion or by outright force if they have to. And that's what they've been all about for fifty years now, longer than that, actually. Uh, but in the last 10 years or so, 10, 15, they've really gotten the capability to really apply some fierce, uh, very heavy military pressure on Taiwan. And that's what they're doing, uh, along with the constant you know, threats to, you know, to do this and that to the Taiwanese and to you know, smash the, the separatists, et cetera, et cetera. So there, it's this combination of uh, psychological intimidation, political warfare, political pressure, where they've isolated Taiwan to the point it can't even, it's sort of, it can't be a member of really any international organizations. There's only maybe uh, 10 countries on earth that recognize Taiwan anymore. So you, they're trying to psychologically and physically and um, diplomatically and politically isolate the place. And they are at the same time targeting the Americans in particular, but the rest of the world as well. But telling the Americans, you know, you guys had better stand clear. 
and stop supporting Taiwan, you know, as little as we do. Uh, and if you don't, then there's going to be problems. And so this has an effect in the U.S. as well, where there's a huge constituency in the political class, uh, and the sort of that academic and the elite foreign policy class that thinks Taiwan is an irritant to the more important U.S.-China relationship. And that is not a good thing. So you can imagine a situation in the future where China attacks or either makes comes right up to that and tells the Americans, stand clear, or there will be nuclear war. And you'll have plenty of Americans who are thinking up all kinds of reasons not to really live up to our obligations to uh, help Taiwan stay free. So it is that long, that on, long-standing, ongoing combination of political and psychological and military pressure that the Chinese are putting on uh, on Taiwan. At the same time, trying to scare the Americans uh, into not backing up Taiwan. If it's the, the Americans don't back up Taiwan, nobody else will. Uh, so that's kind of where we are. And it just get the pressure gets more and more and more. And that's what, what you're talking about is uh, in recent uh, last couple of weeks, the Chinese have put more aircraft into the the Taiwanese air defense identification zone, the ADIS, uh, than they ever have, because they routinely fly aircraft towards Taiwan and then turn back or go around Taiwan, etc. cetera. Uh, but this time they put in all sorts of planes. It was the kind you would use for combat. And they went through the ADIS just day after day and that got everyone's attention. Uh, so this is just the latest, and there will be more in the future. Uh, but that's where we are. And you know, this is the modern era's version of Czechoslovakia back in the 1930s, when Hitler and the, the Germans demanded it, you know, claiming it really did belong to Germany. Everyone knew that. Uh, it wasn't true, but they were able to sort of bully Czechoslovakia, which was relatively easy, but also the civilized world uh, into going along with the Germans, uh, what they wanted, thinking, well, this just give them this and they'll be satisfied. Well, you're seeing something very similar going on with Taiwan and the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and you know, the importance of Taiwan, well, geographically, it's right in the middle of uh, the so-called first island chain, which hems in the, the Chinese mainland and the Chinese military. Uh, and so once, if China can operate from the island of Formosa, which is really the big island that is Taiwan, uh, that they'll have free access into the Pacific and they'll range far and wide and to include up north and they'll have uh, Japan basically surrounded for the, the first time since 1945. Uh, Japan's defenses will have been outflanked. Uh, and so from an operational perspective, Taiwan is key terrain. But also, if you think about it, if China can seize Taiwan, that the uh, well, it will send a message to everyone in the region and on the planet that the Americans couldn't keep 24 million people free. Um, the American military, the American financial and economic might, and its nuclear weapons couldn't protect those people. And that kind of makes it look like the Chinese are the going to be the winners and the Americans are on the downslope. Uh, so there's a there's a huge message messaging or sort of psychological advent, uh, aspect to all of this. And that doesn't get the attention it deserves. And, and I would note that we, people often use the word reunification. Yes. That 
that China wants reunification. And they should, shouldn't say that because it is not unification, uh, reunification. It's really, it's, um, it, well, in a sense, like a thief or a bank robber reunifies himself with all that money in the bank. It's because China, Taiwan is, uh, as you, you noted, historically, it's just for a very brief period, like 10 years during the Qing dynasty, uh, China had some interest in Taiwan, otherwise none. Uh, and Taiwan has never been part of the People's Republic of China. So, you know, the, but but the, you can see how the Chinese have effectively conditioned many people to think that Taiwan was part part of of China and that they just uh, just want what is rightfully theirs. But you, that know, is you know, Grant, when you say that to people, <clears throat> it's a it's akin to saying to people here in the United States now that. <clears throat> Do you know, you know that the Democratic Party was the party of slavery, right? Mm-hmm. They look at you <laughs> and they get indignant. What? Yeah, the Democrats are the party of slavery. Do you know that Lincoln was a Republican? What? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, but when you say this about China, you get the same reaction. Like, what are you talking about? They never, ever, right, again, with the exception of a few years, right, Formosa, Taiwan, whatever name you want to hang on it, has been an independent, sovereign nation. What? Well, that just seems preposterous. And why would China be arguing for reunification? Because they're liars and thieves. That's what the Chinese do. Now, predicated on that little morsel, I mean, so this whole reunification thing really is a ruse, right, to get a major stumbling block, right, out of the first island chain. Yay or nay? Yeah, that's it. You know, the, but you know, keep in mind that you know, people can convince themselves of just about anything. Got it. And, you know, so when the Chinese communists do, you know, keep on this claim that Taiwan is Chinese, it does resonate fairly widely within China uh, that you know you, they have convinced you know many people that's the case and you know you, you play to resentments and it can work out pretty well you know that they have been able to get some uh, a lot of popular support for the idea uh, that Taiwan it really is you know Chinese and that it's worth fighting for etc cetera, etc cetera. but the, the Chinese communists have you know been trying to get Taiwan since 1949, since the Civil War, and they just haven't been able to sort of manage it or have that capability until fairly recently. Uh, but this is uh, something they consider unfinished business, and the, so what you know, the, the the rightness of the say our position, in some ways it doesn't matter all that much when you know a regime a dictatorship. Uh, like the Chinese Communist Party sets its mind on taking something uh, that it it can get it's going to be pretty is dangerous right now and it's going to get worse and worse I think uh, unless that this the the trend line is sort of uh, disrupted uh, and I don't know how that's going to play out. Um, why now? Why is he saying this now? Who's the audience for this? And then talk to me about what the um, the Taiwanese president said. So, Xi, what occasion did he use to make these statements to the world 
and who is the audience? Oh, goodness, he makes them so often that I lose track of them. Uh, but he's he's got several audiences. One is domestic. Uh, you know, it's uh, these regimes will often try to sort of do some rabble rousing or stoke, you know, stoke mob uh, feelings um, as a way to sort of get themselves some support. And keep in mind that China is in the midst of a, a really terrible uh, energy blackout. Uh, it's got, you know... It, financial problems all over the place. There's huge real estate company that has just collapsed and some others are going with it. Um, so they've got lots of problems that regime does. And so this is a good distraction if you can sort of get uh, people looking overseas. It's, it's standard behavior for right. this sort of regime. And the, you know, so the idea is look there, don't look at all these bad things that are happening in your daily life. Uh, so that's part of the, the deal. Uh, and the other another target here is, of course, Taiwan, the people on Taiwan is once again trying to terrify them and wear them down to the point where they, you know, they've just had enough and they, you know, he hopes they just might give up. And or if when the attack comes that they won't respond very well because they've been sort of beaten down in advance. Plus, when you send your aircraft towards Taiwan in large numbers every day, it, it wears out the Taiwan Taiwanese defenders particularly the Air Force. And if at some point, you know, the pressure just gets too great and they can't respond effectively, well, that's one of the basic things that a country does to protect its security. And if it can't do that, then that's um, a very serious thing. Uh, but also he's got, he's got Washington, D.C. in mind. And he's, but he's uh, really trying to size up the American response to this kind of escalated intimidation you know are the americans actually going to do something say militarily or are they going to just express uh, their grave concern and it kind of seems like the latter is the preference uh, for this administration uh, you know so he is he's very much is, is sizing up, up the yankees and you know this is in some ways it's uh, like a war game he's you know, carrying out and, you know, but he gets to see in real time uh, what the other side is actually, other sides are actually doing. Uh, so that's some of what's uh, going on. But this is, if you look at this over the, say, a longer time frame and not just the most recent event, that it, you see this part of a pattern, uh, sort of an increasingly uh, regular and increasingly um, strong uh, series of activities that you know, China is doing to isolate and wear down Taiwan and also hopefully from their perspective, causing the Americans to have some second and third thoughts about helping Taiwan and also seeing what a likely American response is going to be. You know, you know one does wonder if she just might roll the dice, you know, with this administration figuring, well, you know, they didn't do much in Afghanistan. And, you know, when we've you know, humiliated their diplomats several times this year that they uh, haven't really done anything to us. Um, they've even relied, they're talking about relaxing some of the trade sanctions on China. They gave Huawei, that Chinese telecommunications and, and surveillance arm of the Chinese Communist Party, they gave them access to some U.S. computer chips recently. Uh, they dropped the spying charges against a handful of Chinese uh, officials, Chinese people and officials that they caught in America spying. They just dropped the charges. 
they let the Huawei lady go home from her palace in Vancouver. And it kind of looks like you know, the Chinese, to the Chinese that, well, you know, if we just yell and scream and pound the table, well, the Americans will give in. So you do wonder if he thinks that, you know, maybe just one more step and um, trying to take care of Chi Taiwan right now, um, might this might be the time with the Americans perhaps not willing to uh, to get involved. What did you make? So the Huawei lady thing, um, that is just more of this. We're going to take, uh, we're going to, again, you, you've talked about this. It'll be interesting to see if they go back to, you know, Obama era um, and an Obama era pro approach and his predecessors, to be fair, mm -hmm. um, and to, uh, you know, on one knee relative to China that if we just give them what they want, they'll, you know, at some point they'll, they'll, they'll be happy. Um, and, it, but it seems like, and there's a, I was going to ask you about an article, Malaysian and Singapore drill with UK, Australia, and New Zealand in Burzma gold 21. Um, uh, the one thing that you've noted that everybody, you know, that pays attention to defense headlines uh, is aware of is you know the 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 France sending warships to the Western Pacific, right? Uh, the UK with their carrier, their new carrier out there with the United States, and you're seeing more and more considered action. You know the whole dust up with the submarine thing, um, but the bottom line is Australia looking to to you know invest in its own defense. Um, so that stands in stark, stark contrast with these other things right so you're seeing more military activity aimed at, at sending i think message sending to china is that we're not having this and then on the diplomatic front we're having this so uh, a mix mixed messages from uh certainly in the united states uh to say the least yeah it, you know it does you know seem as though it's not all that well thought out or coordinated because the U.S. is doing things, as you noted, um, and just but in the last couple of weeks, you had a, a fairly big exercise down south of Okinawa with uh, it was two U.S. carriers, that British carrier. Uh, the Japanese had their little sort of amphib down there as well. Uh, and but the, the, Grant, the Dutch and New Zealand were in on it. F-35 flying off a, a Japanese big deck right first time since world mm -hmm. war ii that an attack aircraft had been flown off a japanese aircraft carrier now i know it was an american aircraft but it is what it is eh? i mean i mean so you can see that these are steps yes mm -hmm. oh yeah there's things going on you know i don't want to give the impression that the u.s forces are not doing anything because they're doing a lot you know of uh you know what they've always been doing but they're it's stepped up a bit um, you know, but they do do these exercises and that one I just described is a big deal, right. you know, when you because you get five countries together to uh, sort of train and it's not too far from the the uh, what where, where the fight's going to be. And, you know, that is important. And you also mentioned what the uh, the five powers, uh, uh, New Zealand, Australia, Malaysia, uh, UK and the one that I'm missing. Um that what they're the uh, Singapore, I guess, so the training that they're doing, you know, that's it's that's a very interesting the sort of little alliance that's been around for an awfully long time. 
and that has its uses as well. But it's all it's what you make of it and how you fit it into a larger sort of coordinated uh, sort of strategy towards taking on uh, sort of very aggressive China. Uh, the but with the you know all those things I cited on the the diplomatic front, which are part of the you have to look at it as a whole with the military part, you know, it, it almost seems like, you know, they can never, this administration can never quite find a position worth defending. So it falls back to the next one. You know, it convinces itself, well, this one really is, it's not that important. We can, you know, we'll give it up and we'll go back to the next place. And then the next place, the same thing happens, but you keep sort of giving up your position, falling back, even when you're not really under any pressure. And it, it's not a good thing. It's sort of like old General Joe Johnston in front of uh, Sherman just kept put falling back and back and back. And then he got to Atlanta and then he just kept falling back some more. So that's part of the, the, the equation. And so it's, um, you know, it isn't, it isn't sort of unremitting badness because there are those some, some good military exercises and things that are being done. Uh, but then again, you, you look at it and you, you'd mentioned earlier this news report that came out the other day uh, about um, U.S. Marines and special forces having been in Taiwan for a year training the Taiwanese. Um, you know, when you look at that and actually what I think it is, is this is really nothing more than these small training teams that have been going in and out of Taiwan for an awfully long time. And. But you had, I think, I'll bet it was a Biden administration official who was blabbing uh, about this. And I think he was trying to show that, well, even if the Chinese did send 150 aircraft into the sort of Taiwanese airspace, you know, we've, where do, we've had people in Taiwan for a year. Uh, well, yeah, how many of them are there? I mean, you could fit them all into a Greyhound bus and they could spread out. Uh, but so it's, you know, they're, they're trying to sort of talk, you know, make it sound like they're kind of know what they're doing. Um, so it, it's um, not, you know, you do wish the, that our side would get its act together and as I put these parts, pieces of the puzzle together and sort of operate a coherent strategy. Because uh, you can see there's some good things I've just said and there's some bad things I've just said. Uh, and you know, it'd be nice to be able to to say, look, this is what we are, in fact, trying to do. But when you, you know, you send three carriers down to the Philippine Sea to exercise and then you let um, the Huawei lady go and you drop these charges against Chinese spies. Well, you kind of, you know, from China's perspective, they may think, well, you know, it, you know, they'll send some ships here and there, but the ships always go away. But look at it when they, you know, push comes to shove and we scream enough and that the Americans will back down. So you want to present an uncompromising position uh, is the the better approach when dealing with the Chinese and foreign affairs or business. Uh, you, you will make you know concessions now and then, but only in the circumstances where you're getting the better of it. Uh, and we don't seem to figure that out. You know, the that Japanese, uh, the, the amphib that they landed the F-35s on, um, was a nice thing to see. Uh, you know, um, keep in mind that, that I had a role actually in getting the the first Ospreys onto a Japanese amphib. What did you in do? 2000, in 2013. Well, I had a, a not inconsiderable role, I will say, in uh, helping Japan's amphibious capability get going. Uh, 
back in starting in 2011. And as one part of that, uh, we got the Japanese to send an amp, two amphibs to Alpha Camp Pendleton and one destroyer to do actually amphibious training of all things. And that was 2013. And as I remember that it was Don, Don Blitz 13. Don Blitz, the, man. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting story how that came about, but that's another story. But we were able to get the, the Osprey on to land on the Hugo, which is their small, it was the biggest amphib they had then. Um, and it was the first time ever, I think, a Marine helicopter had landed on a Japanese uh, ship. And it was a big deal. It was also considered very sensitive by, you know, these sort of weak-kneed uh, marine officers here and there. But they, um, and also most people couldn't understand the significance of it, even military people. Of, you know, the idea that maybe if Japan had a useful military that could fight with us, that might actually augment our combat power, uh, they just couldn't get it. But the so that was the Osprey landed in 2013, and now eight years later, we've got the F-35s landing on a, a bigger amphib ship. So would so you? That is, so by the transitive property of mathematics, would you say you're the father of this uh, F-35 event? No, <laughs> I mean not, not the F-35. You could the clearly <laughs> the transitive property of mathematics says if 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 C equals A plus B, then B equals A minus C. Grant, no, like, I don't, I don't know you're, you're, why you wouldn't stretch a little bit and say Grant Newsom, father of no, modern amphibious Jeff you know, By that logic, it would be um, Adam is probably the father of it. Okay, so for Japanese amphib force, I will take some credit for that. Well, we, that's, um, that's impressive. And we were very successful and, uh, at it. And you know what? I was asked once, well, how did you all manage to do this? And I thought about it, and I said, well, we didn't ask permission. Um, if we had asked PACOM and others and DOD, et cetera, for permission for what we were doing, we would still be working on the slide deck. Uh, but that was the secret, was to not ask permission. And I knew my way around Japan and had some good co-conspirators uh, and on both sides. And, and the U.S. Navy was not least of them. Uh, but it shows what can be done, uh, say, with, um, you know, if you know what you're doing. Uh, but it, uh, we sh I always had the feeling, though, that we were perhaps five years too late getting started, looking at how the Chinese were developing. But it's better late than never. Thank uh, you. But, so it's very nice to see the F-35 landing on the Izumo. And, but you really got to take that and then move faster and faster with other things, you know, because this is... You know, it's one thing, but it's by itself isn't um, is not the so-called game changer. It's, well, it's nice but again, Grant, I mean, if if ten ten years ago, what were we talking about? We sure as hell weren't talking about this, and and uh, so you're much closer to your goal than you used to be. What I want to go back to the president of Taiwan, her response. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So talk to me yeah. about domestic Taiwanese politics and how this whole thing played out because they just had an election that the conservatives who aren't pro-China, pro-unification, pro-quote-unquote reunification, um, just did extremely well in. Um, what was her position? And talk to me about Taiwanese politics and the Taiwanese view of all this. Hmm. The 
Germany's president, um, Madame Tsai, her responses are always very measured and um, dignified, you know, in the face of this Chinese venom. And so her say so they're always predictable. She says, you know, that well, we're you know, for, you know, we're free people, and you know, we'll do our best to protect ourselves, and we will, um, you know, that's that. And she doesn't get into this back and forth with uh, with Xi Jinping, and she really comes across very well when she speaks in that statesman role. Uh, and that's yeah, so. It's but you think about it. Um, there's not much in it for her if she say gets into these sort of the, the name calling, etc. Etc. But she takes a fairly low key or understated approach to it all, and I think comes across well. Uh, but she has no. She like most Taiwanese has have no interest in being part of mainland China uh, or the the communist system. And events in Hong Kong pretty much convinced you know even more people that they didn't want any part of this. But you do have in the Japan in the Taiwanese political world, you have the the KMT which is now the opposition party, and that's based on the old uh, KMT, the Kuomintang, that uh, uh, was Chiang Kai-shek was the, the head of it. And they dominated Taiwan for many years, but now they're the opposition. And within the KMT, you'll find some people who have got to be on the Chinese payroll. Uh, these are like politicians and officials, and, and they basically say, you know, it's come as close as they possibly can to saying, well, we want to be part of of uh, the communist system. And it's really horrifying to think there's still people who think this. Uh, but there's... But there not, if you, if, in, if, not in, if you realize the way China, I mean, buy, buys this influence, right? I mean, once you understand oh, mm-hmm. that China plays a long game and, and, and money is a part of it, and uh, and that's how they do what they do. That's how they find the Dutertes, right? I mean, you, you said consistently that Mr. Duterte has been on the Chinese payroll for a long time. And so, I mean, you you watch his actions, and his their, his actions betray, right? His bank account. Well, there's plenty of that, uh, but you will find in the KMT some true believers, you know, people who genuinely believe that, you know, they ought to be part of communist China, and within Taiwanese academia, it's very heavily, sort of, um, pro-China, you know, which is, and those people are the are true believers. The Chinese have considerable influence in the media as well, having bought newspapers and other outlets. And so there is that sort of pro-China slice of the the Taiwanese society and the political class. But the average citizen, the, the vast majority, do not want any part of uh, mainland China. And they see themselves as Taiwanese, not Chinese even. Uh, and that's uh, is a change. It's a generational thing. And, you know, there's you, know, you get less and less of the old generation and more of the, the newer ones who do want to be free. And so that's where we are. And you know, mainland China's chances of, volunt- of will- getting Taiwan to submit willingly are pretty slim and they're getting slimmer. And that's why they you know, are in full on bully mode and also building up a military for the express purpose of seizing Taiwan. Uh, so that's kind of where we are. All right, let me ask you another question. Um, um, so public opinion, is, is the Taiwanese public, and I would imagine that um, 
that they are no more homogenous than um than we are um after watching the events in hong kong is this a more serious discussion um yeah is that say that uh the what you call it, the, the the seizing of t- hong kong the suppression and uh sort of destruction really of the people who just really wanted nothing more than the the freedoms that we take for granted um, that really had a huge effect on taiwanese public opinion and the thinking of many sort of regular citizens uh if the chinese communists weren't so greedy and had been smarter and gone easy on taiwan on hong kong just let it let it exist they would have helped their position uh, in taiwan uh, considerably but they couldn't help themselves uh, like that fat man at the buffet you know at circus circus you know he's got to have that tray of eclairs even though he's full they can't help themselves right and by going after hong kong they really sort of undercut themselves towards taiwan and any hope they had of convincing anyone that a future under Chinese communist rule was a, a good thing, they really hurt themselves. And that played a big role in President Tsai's victory in the last election. It was an overwhelming victory, in fact. Right. Um, but as you, you rightly point out, that Taiwanese society is, is as complex as societies anywhere. And a lot of people do vote according to their personal circumstances, not foreign affairs. And so it's and there's regional differences, class differences, etc. And the, so that is you never quite know how an election will turn out in Taiwan. Uh, but that that is something to remember that it isn't. And you know, it's not like 100 percent of the people are, you know, greased up and ready to take on the Chinese invaders. But right. Um, it's, it's not quite like that at all. In fact, you do get, you know, over some period of time, like say 40 years of sort of feeling like you're on your own and like you're under attack, it does wear people down. And to almost create a sense of fatalism in some cases, almost a why bother uh, sort of feeling. Um, also, the military has never been particularly respected in Taiwan. And they're having trouble sort of getting recruits and, and they're underfunded, they're say they're um, not well regarded even by the government that that's starting to change a little bit um, so the mili- Taiwan's military has actually declined in its um, capabilities and its clout say over the last 15 20 years uh, but that needs to be fixed uh, right away and there's people who understand that as well and you know one you know example that always get often gets trotted out is their reserve system is that on paper they've got maybe a million or two reservists, you know, that you can call up in times of emergency. Right. Um, but in actual fact, it is, it shambles isn't even the right word for it. It reserve system is effectively useless. Um, but there's people who recognize this and are trying to sort of fix it. Um, but it's late in the day, but nonetheless, better late than never. Got it. Um, I wanted to ask you, I had a really important question I was going to ask you. Now I've forgotten it. Um, let's talk about the next thing you're writing. Oh, boy. Well, I just wrote something about the uh, 
AUKUS, you know, that Australia-UK-US agreement. Yes. Um, and it's supposed to come out tomorrow or so. But, um, uh, and, you know, like a lot of these topics, they all get plenty of coverage. So I had to think of something that you know, hadn't quite got as much coverage. And what I focused on was the the sub the submarine part of the agreement. And that's the big thing is that this deal promised to get the Australians nuclear submarines, which means the Americans and the British would cooperate to make sure they get them. And what I, you know, what I point out is that, you know, they had the announcement. It was a big thing with the, the heads of each country, you know, stating that, you know, getting together in person or uh, not in person. And, you know, announcing this, you know, this groundbreaking deal. And also this big, you know, it is a big thing to give nuclear subs to the technology to anyone, because that is one of our last aces in the hole and probably Britain's only ace in the hole. Um, and so this was a significant thing and it got a lot of our attention, you know, that particularly guys like me and others who've been warning about the Chinese threat and the need to stand up to it for a long time. But then as part of the announcement, what they said is, okay, we're going to get the Australians, um, you know, nuclear subs, and we're going to take the next 18 months figuring out how to do it. So my article is pointing out, you know, couldn't you have like uh, had a plan in the works and maybe even in motion at the time you announced this thing? I mean, how on earth, you, you know, could they not, you know, and, um, well, what I, then what I cite is, you know, some very constructive and sensible uh, sort of ways ahead that a couple of retired Navy officers I know put together in about an hour uh, after the announcement you know, of how you would go about this. And so I'm, you know, how on earth could these countries come up with a deal of this importance and not know how they're going to actually going to make it come about? Uh, it's just crazy. And then you look at it and you realize that, well, there's um, Australia's advisor is a former secretary of the Navy and he's getting 6,000 bucks a day. Um, and he's going to help them figure out the optimal way ahead. Well, if, and if that was the case, you know, if it was, I was getting 6,000 bucks a day, I might even take longer than 18 months. Yeah, I now, would. I'm being I would, a no doubt. Funny. No doubt. But, but this is, this is just idiotic planning. It, it's like saying, well, we're going to invade Iraq. And then, you know, you make the public announcement and then you tell the planners, hey, uh, could you guys figure out how we're going to do it? <laughs> uh, it's just crazy. And then I also suggest that, well, you know, did in all of this, who's responsible for the success or failure of it? Uh-oh. Um, as, as is usually the case, I'll bet you there's nobody. Uh, so I'm afraid that this, you know, may it, you know, turn out to have been a really handsome press conference, which is how we like to do things. Exactly. Um, but then on the actual producing something concrete and productive. Uh, Not so much. I, well, let's see, you know, say let's see, but it was a wonderful step forward and the, the announcement and the idea, but you know, couldn't you, couldn't these guys have had something in the works already? Uh, and particularly on the nuclear submarine part of it and to not have that, you, you just wonder what on earth is going on. Cause you know, it isn't like they decided to reach an agreement like, two months ago, uh, but this has got to have been uh, talked about for a long, long time, probably starting in the Trump administration. Got it. And so that's the angle that I take. Uh, All right. Let me ask you another question. Let me yeah. ask you another question since, since I haven't talked to you in a while. 
Um, I didn't see the hearings themselves. Um, but do you have a reaction to what you saw from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Secretary of Defense? Um, I think uh, what General Miller was also there. General McKenzie was also, I think, a part of at least one of the hearings. Um, Afghanistan. Um, after, do you have any thoughts um, about all Afghanistan now after listening to all of them speak in public? Well, none of them impressed me uh, at all. You know, it, this would perhaps be the equivalent of having a hearing when you'd bring General Ambrose Burnside and maybe Irwin McDowell and McClellan, uh, you know, and these loser generals to come and uh, talk before Congress. These are these are Yankee Civil War generals um, that I'm talking about. That were and, not that were not very good. I might add. No, and you know they didn't win any win win anything really. Um, but so, yeah. I Although an, Ambrose Burnside did hold on to his bridge at Antietam. Well, not quite. It took him the whole day to get across it. Well. Um, but uh, <laughs> and, well, he, and then he made up for it at Fredericksburg by slaughtering, what, 10,000 guys in front of Mary's Heights. Mary's Heights, yeah. At the sunken road. But the, but the, the point is that these you, know, you looked at them and you'd think, well, you know, which, who's the winner in this? You know, who's the... You know, sometimes military officers and senior ones will engender confidence. You know, who did? I couldn't see it. And rather it was, you know, they were talking in platitudes and vagaries and, uh, you know, doing anything to, but to avoid responsibility and to just even admit the most commonsensical things. It was an embarrassment uh, to see this. You know, it was just, it was... You know, tap dancing and just avoiding sort of any sort of responsibility for what has happened. Uh, so you look at it from our enemy's perspective and you think, well, this is the best our system produces. Hmm, I might like my odds. Uh, you know, so yeah, I the the parts of this I saw were uh, entirely depressing. Uh, and once again, you know, it's further proof that leprechauns do exist because there is no human who is responsible for what has happened in Afghanistan. And there never has been. Uh, so this was you know, sort of more of the same uh, to, from my perspective. You know, just one of these guys that had the decency to, you know, admit that, that something didn't go just right. You know, would Let have me, been nice so to Grant, hear it. I didn't hear it. In so. terms of solving this, do you think this is what happens when a nation goes to war without a declaration of war and Congress essentially is not in on it. And then you have the vagaries that go from administration to administration in this um, undeclared war that, you know, is stacking up American bodies. Um, is this what you get? Because, you know, the next president will always run on, I'm going to end the war, right? And so we're grabbing the joystick and we're moving it because it, it's, it, it'll help me in the election, blah, 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 all because they have that kind of power because Cong Congress, there is no declaration of war. Is this what you get, these reindeer games and the stupidity? Well, it's part of it. You know, the declaration of war, I think the last time we declared war was against Romania in 1942 or something like that. You know, we, we don't typically do that. There's some um, sort of international law ramifications of declare, formally declaring war. So we say that's that's a, another debate, however, but it is the, 
uh, sort of this lack of clear <clears throat> lack of clear objectives, but it's exacerbated when you have or or else lack of or, or else kind of dumb objectives like turning Afghanistan into a modern democracy with all the trappings of civilization. You know, if that was the idea, and apparently it was, though, that's kind of dumb. Uh, Iraq, well, that was supposed to pay for itself as the delighted Iraqis. Uh, they too put in a democracy and they paid us from their oil revenues. That was the thinking by these geniuses that went ahead. You know, you had failures in the intelligence end of things where, uh, you know, they, the CIA just completely muffed the, the Iraq business. Um, and, you know, so, and the, so you have, plus you combine it with a, a system where nobody is punished for not producing, but rather they, it's end of tour rewards and up to, upward promotion. So it rewards a certain type of uh, leadership or performance that isn't, isn't really useful if you want to win. Um, you know, I think we've talked about it before is you, you look at the start of World War II and look at the generals that were there. And probably within nine months, most of them were no longer in service right. uh, and had been replaced by guys who'd been majors, lieutenant colonels, etc. And throughout the war, generals were routinely getting fired. And in these last two wars, well, you know, it's hard to name one who was fired for not producing. And so if you have combine all those things, and it's maybe not a surprise that we get this sort of befuddled uh, performance by, you know, the, the top generals and officials in our defense uh, system. Uh, so, yeah, it, if you said, well, what is the, the positive thing you can say about you know, everything, what I just heard, or what we, we all heard. And I don't know what it would be. I don't think I could say anything. I found it uh, entirely depressing. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for uh, hopping on with me this morning. I wanted to catch up. I know a lot of people uh, were have been waiting for this and uh, I've been gone for speaking for a few weeks. So I uh, wanted to have you on. And uh, um, I don't know if I should ask you, um, I, I will ask you this as a Marine officer. The Navy just concluded its investigation into the 15th Mew incident, specifically the role the USS Somerset plays. Now, I think one of the first things we learn as Marine officers in, that are going to be involved in amphibious operation is the that the Navy runs them. All right? There is a thing called the CADF, the commander of the amphibious task force, and the CLIF, which is the commander of the landing force. Okay, CADF is a Navy guy, Cliff a Marine. CADF is always in charge. So when we begin an investigation and you were in charge and nine human beings got dead, how do you absolve yourself? And knowing that, that the movement from shore to ship is your responsibility and the movement from ship to shore is your responsibility. How do you, how do you, how do you, absolve, how do you get absolved of that, Grant? Do you have an opinion on any of that? Well, it seems to happen a lot these days. If you're high enough in position, you uh, or sort of bureaucratically or organizationally set, that you can avoid all sorts of responsibility for which a a first lieutenant would be crucified. Uh, it's uh, well, yeah, you you I, just walked us through a different version of it on Afghanistan. Nobody made a mistake. Yeah. You know, it sounds like a basic school critique after a after a patrol. 
hey, you know, we did okay. There was some good and some bad. But if we work together and try harder next time, it'll be better. What the fuck was that? Right? Except yeah, except we're yeah. not students at the basic school anymore. We're operating forces, and we're supposed to have our shit together. And uh, I, I just don't see – I don't know how you thread the needle of I'm responsible for that movement. There's no safety boats in the water. And somehow – this is the, 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 the personification of walking through the car wash and not getting wet. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. What? You know, that's what it is. You know, and, you know, you just see this all the time. It, you know, it's pretty much par for the course these days. You know, if the guy who, whomever, you know, had said, like, used the wrong language about some social justice issue. He didn't oh, finish. shit. But, but this sort of thing, you know, you let Marines go down, Marines go down in a, in an AV and, uh, and want a sailor with them. And, uh, no, that's not all that important, apparently. No disciplinary uh, action, although he did yeah. reserve the right to take administrative action. Like, what would that be? It can't be a punitive letter of caution because that can only happen after a disciplinary hearing. What are you going to get, a nip lock and nine people are dead? I mean, yeah. I, Grant, I, mean we, I look at this, and Grant and I are contemporaries in terms of when we came in, and Marines have always been taught this. Everything your unit does or fails to do, that is your responsibility. And when you hear that the first time, I remember thinking, oh, that's a little broad, isn't it? Can't we tighten that shit down? Well, congratulations to the Navy because they have. Because you can be responsible for only some of the shit your organization does. And then we'll just bury dust the rest of that shit away for you. And so it's it's amazing to me to watch it on a regular basis of of, of this stuff. And it's just... I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm incredulous. When I read that last week, my head almost exploded. Right? My head almost exploded. And so I know from working operations in Iraq and Afghanistan, somewhere in a combat information center, there should be a sheet that says conditions set for recovering of Amtrak's. That is the well decks where it's supposed to be. The well decks you know, sunk in the water so we can recover them. Our lookouts are out there. Safety boats are out there, right? And again, your responsibility is to make sure you're out, they're out there. Now, they could come from the Somerset or they could be provided by the, by the Amtrak platoon. But your job is to make sure you're there. None of that happens. But no disciplinary action. I can see that. So I just wanted not to me to get on a rant, which I am perfectly capable of doing but it's just amazing grant when you see this stuff and people are people are dying and you just look at it and you're like as as one of my friends says we're doomed we <laughs> are fucking doomed yeah you, you, you know i don't know if we're dead yet but we um you know certainly that's uh not looking good and there's lots of room for improvement but also you know it's our enemies are looking at us and look at, imagine what they must be thinking. And it's not comforting. Oh, yeah. Look at the Navy, right? Somehow or other, a, 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 navier, a Navy nuclear attack submarine runs into something, right? We just had a Navy nuclear engineer get yoked up for spying. And the good news of the week is, thank God, nobody on the Somerset is responsible for nine Marines and a sailor dying. What a fucking joke. What a fucking joke. Thank God they're not going to be in the lead, right, of a war with China. Oh, shit. They will be, right? 
It's one of the reasons G should be emboldened. Is that like if this is if this is the best we have to offer, right? God help you know, us. He right? must must like his odds. Um, <laughs> a little well, bit. I'm gonna go have some, I'm gonna go get some more shrimp cocktail. <laughs> All right. So, I know I kept it for a while. Yeah, you're cheering me. You're cheering me up. Uh it's you know, we could be better, but anyway. All right, Grant, thank you so much. <laughs> uh missed having you around and uh we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Sure, sounds good. Thanks yeah, a lot. You bet. Yeah. I'm I'm not real happy. In case you can't fucking tell, right? I am not real happy. Absolutely positives me positively kills me this shit. I'm doing my breathing exercises right now, and they're not fucking helping either. Here's another little tidbit for you. This is from a, a Marine officer. Let me see if I can find it. Talk about the way that the Navy yeah when you and the Mensa brothers talk about the Navy's AV investigation I hope that you include the fact that the Somerset CO was an aviator getting his deep draft time in prep for potential carrier commanding officer billet it's a long-time Navy practice, and in my opinion, another indicator of where the Gator Navy lies in the hierarchy of Navy priorities. Dude wasn't qualified for the billet he was in. Yeah. Yeah, that comes from a colonel United States Marine Corps. Retired. Anyway, thanks for listening today. Uh, my thanks to Grant for coming on and spending the time with us. Um, what else? That'll do it. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna record some stuff tonight, I think. And um, what we're gonna do is we we'll, we will um, talk about the, the Navy investigation. So we'll go through the findings of facts, essentially their opinions and recommendations. And we'll let you know what we think. So, yeah, we'll do that tomorrow. And then I'm not sure what we're doing on Wednesday. And then the Mensas will come back on Thursday. I don't know if Jeff's going to join us tonight. He's got some stuff going on. So we'll see. Uh, anyway, on that note, I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio in its new digital format. Yeah, that's why it sounds so much better. Uh-huh. Have a great day. Don't be afraid to change somebody's life. And if you need some help, all that contact info on the website comes to moi. That's right. Don't be afraid to exercise it. On this Monday, I'm out. <laughs>